Well, I am sorry that I hid some of your chairs. You know, everyone gets so attached to where they sit, and uh, we picked up these seat covers, and I'm happy about it, because I look out here now, and you, you look like you're a little cozy and closer to each other, and that's a good thing. Um, but if your seat is behind the curtain, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really sorry, but I'm, I'm also not that sorry. Uh, do me a favor and track down a Bible and uh, get with me to Luke chapter 1. Um, Luke chapter 1. Uh, there are baskets down on the floor, and in those baskets you should be able to find a Bible. And in the Bibles that we have here, Luke 1 would be on page 830, 830. Um, So uh, right now we're getting ready for... Christmas, and we're doing a series called Wonder, and we're looking at the different passages in the Bible that help us to look at the Christmas narrative and uh, prepare our hearts for the significance of this holiday. Um, So I I would love it if you'd help me, because this is a season when so many people are open to having discussions about faith and also to uh, coming out to a church service. And so we're going to meet here on the 24th at 3 p.m., And we've got these little business cards that are out there uh, by where Jim sits and hands out bulletins. Um, If you want to take these with you and then give those away at your place of work or to your neighbors or to friends, um, this is just a tool for us to be able to invite and to tell people, hey, here's what we're up to. We'd love for you to be aware of our church. But but more significantly, we, we want people to be aware of our Savior. And this is one of those opportunities where as a church we can we can make known the good news of the gospel, and, and we can be very clear about that, and we can present it in a way that uh, hopefully is very helpful for people. So if you want to grab these on your way out, I'll try to remind you, um, but that would be a big, big help. Um, we're in Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at the story of the angel visiting Mary and telling her the news of what, uh, what is about to happen. So I want to pray. Uh, let's read it first, but then let's pray, and we will get to work. This is Luke 1, starting in verse 26. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Let's pray. Lord, we pray right now that you would speak to us. We're asking, God, that you would help us to know what you have done. This incredible news that you sent your son. Help us to think about what that means for our lives, Lord. Help us to think about the implications of all of it. And help us to be believers who respond with faith to to this incredible promise. God, we want to, having 
come out to church this morning now sitting under your word. God, would you speak to us in a way that helps us to be faithful to you and orient our lives to what you're up to. Um, Help us to be good news people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to look at this kind of in three different headings because uh, there's a lot of material here, but we're going to look at the the recipients of, of the good news. What kind of person receives an announcement like this? And I think that uh, the story gives us some evidence. So what kind of person receives the good news? And then what is the good news? If there's an announcement to be made, if there's a message to be delivered, if there's something to be celebrated, we need to know what is that and, and why does that matter? And then finally, we're going to look at how we respond to it, how we hear that message, and then what, is, what does it do to us? How do we uh, respond to the message of the gospel. So the recipient of the good news in this case is Mary, and uh, the reality about her is she, in, in many ways, is un- unimpressive. If you're thinking about the first century and how people would consider each other and what would make someone important or, or uh, you know, prominent in their culture or in their society, uh, she's none of it. She's not, she's not the kind of person who you look at and you go, this, this girl is going to change the world. Like this isn't just, it's not how it worked back then. She was from a small community and she was pledged to be married, but she wasn't married yet. And in their society, marriage was a big deal. Uh, women would, would uh, add value to society as they marry and then have kids. And so there's some identity stuff going on there. And she's none of that yet. She's this person who consider, considers herself to be humble. And she sings about it in her song as we, we'll, we'll keep moving through Luke and we'll, we'll bump into it in the coming days. But um, she's, she considers herself to be humble and her situation is humble And I want to suggest this is the kind of person who receives the announcement. To have humility actually orients you to to being able to receive this incredible message. Uh, Dwight Moody, he, he put it like this. He said, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. And it's just pointing out that reality that if you're humble enough to, to acknowledge your neediness, that you're unimpressive, that you don't have this grandiose life, that you might try to you know, filter it on social media and make it look really pretty, but in reality you just say, I'm kind of an ordinary individual, I'm kind of unimpressive in all these different ways. I think that actually situates you to receive the good news of the gospel. So look at verse 26. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. He sends the angel to deliver this incredible news to this young woman, and, and we find out that she lives in this small community. It's not an urban city center, cultural influencing place. It's this small town place called Nazareth. And later on in, in another gospel, uh, the Gospel of John, later on in the story, Philip and Nathaniel are talking about this place. And Philip says to Nathaniel, come, come to Nazareth. I fu- we found the, the, the Messiah. We found the one that the law and the prophets were speaking about. And, and uh, Nathaniel responds in this way. And he says, are you sure? Are you sure, Nazareth? And he says it like this in John 1, 46. He says, can anything good come from there? And he's thinking about this small town and this small community. And he's going, I don't, I don't know if anything impressive has ever come from there. And uh, that, that idea kind of clicks with me because I grew up 
uh, in Rockton and uh, all, this, all, all the communities in the area, Rockton and Roscoe and these other places, they all fed into this big school, Hananiga High School. And we lived in Rockton, but we attended Sherland School. There's a small farm town out there west of Rockton, and it's this, you know, very small community. And so you knew everybody as a, you know, you come into kindergarten and, you, you know, you get to know everybody K through eighth grade. And, and the classes are tiny and all these different things. And when we got to Hananiga, all the other kids from, you know, these different places in Rockton and Roscoe, they'd look at our community and they'd, they'd say something like Nathaniel. Like, could anything good ever come from Sherland? Like, we, we know all these, you know, farm kids and they're kind of weird. And they would say things like that and they would poke fun at it. So when God says, I'm going to send my angel and he visits this location of Nazareth, it's, it's really just highlighting what he does. He, he targets the lowly. He targets the obscure. He targets people who are humble and who are humble enough to acknowledge that. And so he sends the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, in verse 27, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now that uh, connection there, it'll be important in a minute, but, but he's, he's targeting this young woman to give this news to. Verse 28, the angel went to her and he said, greetings you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, what an awesome announcement. And if you're thinking about, you know, an ambition for your life, let it be this, that when God looks at you and speaks over you, he's able to say, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Out of all the other things that we might try to accomplish in life, let that be a a chief concern of yours, that God would look at you and say, I favor you. My, my grace has visited upon you and, and, and you are experiencing this incredible reality. The Lord himself is with you. Now, if that's true of us, and it can be as Christians, that's a really incredible thing that you could be able to say, I have experienced the grace of God. He has favored me. He has showered his love and his mercy and his grace on me. And he is with me by his spirit in me. That, that's such a cool Truth, And that's what the angel is saying to her, but it's a little bit freaky for her. A few weeks ago, Ash was uh, doing a Bible study. My wife was doing a Bible study, and um, she's going through it in the morning, and I'm sitting there doing my thing, and she looks up, and she starts asking questions about angels because she was bumping into some stuff in in the Bible. And I began to realize, well, I don't know know a ton about what you're asking. I, I, I really... I don't have an, an opinion about that stuff. But then I was like, but here's what I do know. A couple things. One, angels are messengers. And the other thing is, they're freaky. So she hears this angel speaking to her, and she thinks, what on earth is going on right now? She's wondering, why are you talking to me? And why are you saying these things about me? Do you, did you get the wrong address? Do you know who I am? Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. She was staggered by this interaction with an angel. She, she was greatly troubled. And so when God is speaking to her again, it's just highlighting the humility that she has, the, the self-awareness that she has, that she doesn't kind of walk around thinking, oh, I'm so, so important that obviously an angel should visit me. But she's just that humble, lowly individual who is receiving the news of the gospel. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor 
with God. You have found favor with God. And so when I look at this story and I think about how God works, he has this pattern of targeting people who are down and out, who are self-aware, who recognize their limitations, and who own all of that. He has a habit of picking people who are in a position to say, I don't know why you would do this for me. I don't know why you would say that I'm highly favored or that, you know, that you've blessed me in all these different ways. I don't, I don't understand. That's that humility piece that I think is such an important part of Christianity. And this is what God does. This is how he targets people. These are the kinds of recipients of the good news. So uh, earlier in the Bible, you know, God chose a people, but what did he say about them? In, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, he speaks about that arrangement, and he said through his prophet Moses, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than all the other people, for you were the fewest of all people. When God looks at somebody, he's not, he's not saying, can you please get your act together and become so impressive that I can't afford not to have you on my team. No, when God looks at us, what, here's what he's after. He wants us to be humble enough to recognize our need. And, and when we do that, when we acknowledge God's love and his grace and our, our, the undeserved favor of God on us, that's when we hear this incredible, incredible message. It really is a matter of God just saying, I love you because I love you. I've got two kids, uh, six and four, and they're very different from each other. And you guys see them running around here. So Reese is the sweetest little girl I've ever met. She's kind-hearted. She's thoughtful. She's always like looking out for other people. She's respectful. She listens to anything that you say, and she'll, uh, you know, quickly respond to it. And she does all these different things that just blow me away. Like, whose kid are you? And I'll, you know, I'll look at her and I'll be able to say all of that. Harrison is very different. He is a little weirdo. And he, you know, so he's out at Tree Farm Camp yesterday, which is, you know, he's hanging out with all of his cousins and friends and people who, you know, have kids that are, that they're working, but their kids are there hanging out. And he finds this, like, hibernating snake. And he's just carrying it around. And he's like, I love snakes. And he's carrying this thing around. And we're like, that is disgusting, dude. And it's like... I don't, I don't know. It was weird, but this, you know, he's, he's a goofball, but I still say to him, you're my goofball, and I, you bring me so much joy, and you are such a weird little man, and, and I love it, and you make me laugh, and we goof off together, and they're very different from each other, and here's, here's what I'm trying to get at. No matter what my kids do or who they become, I hope that I will always be able to say to them, I love you because I love you. So if they sit down with me and they say, Daddy, why do you love me? I can list off all these different characteristics about them that I appreciate, but even if all of that changes, I want to be able to continue to say to them, I love you because I love you. And I think that's what God does to us, that he looks at us and he's not saying, you have to be all these different things to earn my love. You have to you know, be this kind of person to, to merit my favor. He looks on us and he says, I love you because I love you. And he loves us in that way. And that's not saying that he's dismissive of who he wants us to become. He loves us where we're at and he changes us uh, in, into the image of Christ. But man, God loves us like that. And when that favor of God, when that clicks for you and you just begin to realize he, he loves me as is, he loves me today. I don't have to go try to prove myself. He loves me today. 
that will change you. That'll give you what we call gospel confidence, where instead of trying to prove yourself, you can just be who you are and allow for the grace of God to change and mold you. The recipients of God's good news, I would argue, are people who are humble, people who acknowledge their need. So Mary sings about it a little bit later on in Luke 1, and she says, the Lord has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. If you will be a humble individual and receive God's grace, his unmerited favor toward you, you will be the kind of person who receives that good news. Now, secondly, what is the news? What is the announcement that's being made? Well, it's, it's the announcement of what God is doing and, and how he's bringing about salvation. It's an announcement of God's activity in the world to bring about salvation. So in verse 31, it says, you will be with son and you will give him the name Jesus. And that name means Yahweh saves. You're going to have a child and he is the savior. You're going to have a child and this child is going to be the one through which God is redeeming the world to himself. He's bringing about salvation and this announcement is the news of how it's going to come to be. We have an awesome message of what God is doing here and what he has done in history and how he has saved people. So verse 32 says, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. This child that Mary is going to have is going to, going to be exceptional in so many different ways, but the world looks at him. If you follow his earthly ministry, the world kind of scoffs at him. They don't see how impressive or great he truly is. But he is. And then he's the son of the Most High. He is the son of God. And there are all these different elements about his personhood that just blow us away. But this is what's happening. God is saying, through this child, salvation is coming. Through this child, promises are coming true. Through this child, people can place their faith in him and experience fellowship with God. This child is both fully human and fully uh, God at the same time. This is the promised one, the Messiah. Look at verse 32. And following the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. All of a sudden, the angel is picking up these promises that have been made hundreds and hundreds of years previous. He's picking up some things that, that Mary would have learned about as a, uh, a young lady in school and, and these things that God said he would do. And now the angel is saying, through your child, this is coming true. There's a time when King David, uh, in, the, in the Bible story, there's a guy named King David. He was a, the leader of the people of God. He was an excellent king, except for some pretty major things that he goofed up on. But he was a man after God's heart. And when they were established in the promised land, David thought to himself, one of the things I would love to have be my legacy is I would love to build a permanent house for the Lord. He, he begins praying about it and thinking about it and thinking, okay, we've been traveling and God has a tent and, you know, I, I'd love to see, now that we're in the promised land, I'd love to see this permanent structure built out. And he begins to talk about that and pray about that. And then God answers his prayer. And God says to him, you're not going to be the one to build that. Your child will. But here's what I'm going to do. You want to build a house for me? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build you into a house. I'm going to give you uh, a descendant who is going to reign on the throne uh, over the house of Jacob forever. He's make, God is saying, 
that's great that you want to do that. That's not going to happen. But here's what I'm going to do. I am going to give a descendant of yours this incredible responsibility of leading the people of God forever. And, and, and now the angel has come to Mary and is, is saying, this child that you're going to have, through him, all of that stuff is coming true. Through this child, through this baby that you're going to have, all of these promises of God are going to find their fulfillment in him. He will be the king. He will reign forever. He will rule over the house of Jacob. His descendants will know no end to this awesome and incredible reality. So when we think about this announcement, we're, we're talking about a very special moment in all of human history. The last couple of weeks, I was, I, was, I was wrestling with preaching the Christmas story. And I was thinking, you know, I really hope that we come out of this and there's some very practical things. You know, I don't ever want to stand up here and tell you stories about the Bible that you're like, oh, that's fascinating information. But I hope and I pray that what gets shared changes our lives. And then I'm looking at this story and, and I began to realize it's kind of inappropriate for me to read the Christmas story and to just say, hey guys, this is what, here's what this means for us. It's all about us. If we turn our attention in that direction, I think we miss the significance of this event. This is a once in uh, the lifetime of the world experience where God is saying, I'm sending my son. There's only ever going to be one Mary. There's only ever going to be one John the baptizer. There's only ever going to be one Jesus of Nazareth who's going to walk the earth in this way. Um, and so I look at it and I say, here's, here's what we need. We need to recognize this is a story that we all have to hear. But there are implications for our lives. There is a salvation that this is pointing to that has ripple effects and, and really does have an implication and a bearing on you today. This baby that's being promised, that is about to be born and, and, and what he's going to do, he will grow up to one day live a perfect life and offer that life as a sacrifice for anyone who would look on him and believe. He's going to offer through his, through his ministry, through his cross work, that people can look to him and by faith receive the gift of eternal life. He's going to do something that's going to bring about an incredible restoration of who we're supposed to be and a fellowship with God that we're intended to have. And he's going to do all of that. And then he's going to come back. He, he died on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave to vindicate the work that he accomplished. He spent time with people for 40 days, and then he ascended to the right hand of God the Father where he's living to intercede on our behalf. And he's, he's promising that he's going to return again. And the end of the Bible gives us a, a picture of what that's like. There's a guy named John, and he had a vision of the, the end. And you can read it. It's at the very back of the Bible. If you've ever gotten that far, it tells us what's, what's coming. And at the very end of the Bible, we see this vision that John has. Here's the future. Here's what it, here's what it holds for us. Jesus is going to come back. That we're going to see the city of God coming down from heaven and he's going to be there. And he begins to explain, when I come, I'm going to wipe away tears. There's going to be no more pain, no more hurt, no more mourning, no more sickness, no more death, for the old order of things is going away. And he says, I am making all things new. When we look at this story and we think about what he is coming to do, what he has accomplished in his earthly ministry and what he's one day going to accomplish when he returns, man, that changes everything. That's why we celebrate Christmas, because we know he's going to do that. 
He has done that cross work, and one day he'll come and bring it to consummation, and all things are going to be made new, and it's going to be beautiful, and we're going to party forever. And it's going to be awesome. And so we celebrate that. But man, when you think about this, a couple things came out this week that, that I was struggling with. The first is timing. The issue of timing. Christmas is a moment where we get to celebrate the arrival of Christ and all that that means for us. But the story forces us to deal with unfortunate timing. Meaning God is doing something, but the people, the recipients of this good news have waited hundreds of years. They've waited for this moment. There's been silence from heaven and finally the angels come and they begin to explain, here's what God is doing now. And even having that news, she has to go through a pregnancy. And then she has an infant. And then that infant has to grow up. And the Bible you know, gives us a little bit of information about what that's like. But they're still waiting. There's still lots of time that, that lapses before he gets to his earthly ministry. And then he goes to a cross and he dies. And, and all these things are, are unfolding. But we have to acknowledge that's not how we would prefer for the timetable to work. When things are broken and hurting, we want it to be fixed immediately. Then Jesus says, I'm coming back, and we're thousands of years after that announcement, and we're still waiting. Now, here's why this is very important. We as Christians need to be people who learn how to wait well. That yes, there is a salvation, and we trust in that fully, but sometimes the hurt and the pain that we would love to see gone in an instant, we're going to be stuck with it for a while. We just have to, we have to recognize that the, the hurt and the pain you know, maybe that physical ailment isn't going to get all better. Maybe that relationship isn't going to be immediately repaired. Maybe the difficulty that you're going through financially isn't just going to resolve itself. Maybe there are all these things that we, we just recognize. The timing of God is different than our timing. But it is coming. His salvation is coming. And we wait then with anticipation and hope. Because we know he is going to return and make all things new. And, and so we should celebrate that. We should understand the timing, but celebrate that salvation. The news is about what God has done in the person and work of his son. And we as Christians need to be able to say, this is what we celebrate. Now, finally, how do we respond? When we hear this incredible news, how should we respond to it? And I think it's totally appropriate to have questions. I think it's totally appropriate to look at what God is up to and to respond with wonder. How could this work? How can this be? Are you, is, how is it going to play out? And that's exactly what Mary does in verse 34. She says to the angel, having heard the announcement, how will this be, Mary asked, since I'm a virgin? In other words, she's looking at her life and she's hearing what he's saying, but she's going, how does this add up? I don't understand how this could be. And, and I guess what I want to suggest to you is, you know, this is, this is getting into the arena of confusing topics. Right? She's a, a virgin, and now the angel's speaking to her and saying, your son is going to be the son of the Most High. And she's thinking, I don't know how that even works. How does that work? And, and a lot of people struggle with that, with the virgin birth of our Savior. There's an evangelist, um, I think he's in Australia. His name's Glenn Scrivener, and he says, um, Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Materialists believe in the virgin birth of the cosmos. Choose your miracle. Meaning, this is confusing, 
And, you know, to think that the Savior was born of a virgin can be a stumbling block for somebody. But at the end of the day, you have to choose what you're going to place your faith in. Both are a leap of faith. We as Christians need to be able to say our Savior was born of a virgin. And she might wonder at that and wonder at how that would work. But the angel now is going to respond to her to help her process this. So he, um, he's, he's going to engage with the question that she has. And, and again, it's just so important for us to, to be able to voice our concerns, to be able to have questions like that. I, I, it's, we have to create an environment where questions are safe, where you can ask them. Uh, last night I was on Twitter, one of the guys that I follow uh, he's, he works for a Christian publisher, and he was talking. He quickly tweeted out that he's had a lot of conversations recently with people who have deconversion stories, meaning they were Christians. Now they're no longer Christians, and he tweeted out one of the common threads in all of it is that these people who were Christians who no longer consider themselves Christians, he says, they weren't allowed to ask questions. They didn't feel that it was safe for them to have their concerns. We have to recognize it is safe and okay to wonder at how this stuff works. To be able to say to God, I'm not sure I get this. We as a church, I want, I want you to know that if you have concerns with things that the Bible says, that you should be able to ask that. And we create environments for that to happen. Uh, places where we not only uh, allow for it, but we expect questions to come up. Places like Alpha and small groups where, where we want you to be able to process some of the difficulties of the Christian faith. How is it that this could happen since I'm a virgin, Mary says. We need to be able to ask questions. Derek Tidbull, he puts it like this. It's often the silencing of doubts, not the voicing of doubts, that leads to future unbelief. When you've got a concern and you stuff it because you don't think it's safe to talk to other Christians about it, that can show up later in a very devastating way. If you have questions, feel free, like Mary, to say, Time out, how does this work? How could I have a baby who is the son of God? And the angel answers her. The angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One born to you will be called the Son of God. So he addresses, first off, he explains, here's, here's how this works. You will have a child and it will be the, the product of God's own work in this world. And therefore, the child will be your kid and he'll be a human being, but will also be the son of the Most High. He will be fully human and fully God at the same time. So he answers with truth. Here's how this works. And nonetheless, uh, you know, I think most of us would go, uh, come again? How did that work? How does it work that you can have God and man together in the same person? And, and so the, the angel answers a second time. And this time he points to God's work in the world. And he puts it like this. Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. He says, okay, when you visit, when you visit Elizabeth, when you visit your relative, here's how you're going to know that you can trust my word. She's pregnant. She's the one who's old, old enough that everyone looks at her and says she's unable to conceive. It's an earthly impossibility, but she's presently pregnant. So when you visit her, you'll know God's on the move. God's at work. You can see the evidence of his work in this world, and God does that for us as well. 
Not only does he explain things to us and say, here's how this works and here's what I'm up to, but he also says, but look at my handiwork. Look at the things that I'm doing. Look at the evidence of my faithfulness in the midst of my people. Look at the answers to prayers. Look at how God is at work and and on the move and what seems impossible is not for God. Verse 37, nothing is impossible with God. And so we have our questions. We respond with wonder and the Lord meets us there. And he reaffirms what he's doing and he gives us greater confidence in his work and therefore we should respond like this. Mary responds with faith in verse 38. She says, I am the Lord's servant may it be to me as you have said. And I hope and I pray that all of us have that same response today, that we would say, I believe the word of God. I believe the promises of God. I believe I'm your servant. I I hear what you're saying. I am at your disposal. I'm yours. I'm on board. I trust. I, I believe. I have faith. May it be to me as you have said. I hope that we hear the Christmas message and we hear the invitation that God gives us in this Savior, in what he is doing for us, and we say, I believe that all to be true. I trust him. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I pray that we would respond with faith, that the Christmas message would be something that we look at and we say, this is so good. It's almost too good to be true. But I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as he has said. The promises of God come true in Jesus Christ. God's favor comes to the spiritually humble. People who acknowledge their need. His favor comes to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And we receive this favor by placing our faith in that promised son. And experiencing grace and forgiveness and unmerited favor. So I'm going to pray and uh, continue to ask that God would, by his spirit, help us to embrace this truth. God... We thank you for the announcement of what you've done in the sending of your son. We pray, God, that you would give us eyes of faith to see how incredible it truly is. Help us to believe the good news of these promises coming true. And help us to feel the weight of the implications of this salvation. God, we acknowledge that many of us in here are hurting and broken and and discouraged, but, but we trust you. Because you have told us that one day you're going you're gonna to come and wipe away tears and sickness and sadness and mourning and death and pain. And we look forward to that. But in the meantime, God, we want to be faithful. So help us to celebrate the news of Jesus' arrival and anticipate his coming again. We pray in his name. Amen.